0: Wretched Radio begins in three, two, one.
1: Every once in a while, we
2: gotta the religious people.
1: There are 720 churches in Charlotte. I'm sure we can find one where
2: you can stuff your face. Shut up, quit pointing out the problem. Men will be proud, arrogant, abusive. You watch some of today's rock star pastors and you will see every characteristic Paul listed played out in vivid detail on the church stage. It's time for Wretched Radio. With Todd Friel. A devotional that's actually helpful? They do exist. This is Wretched Radio. I hold in my never before nicotine stained fingers a new resource we have at wretched.org titled Assurance Resting in God's Salvation. And what arrested me about this book is how eminently practical it is. It is a devotional because people who are lacking assurance really do need to cut back on how much they study themselves and spend more time studying God, but this devotional also will provide helpful questions that will help you actually apply it. I think we can do more of that. Once again, I think we have a demonstration that we are allergic to any of the practices of the liberals. They do it, therefore we can't do anything that has anything to do with that subject matter. And I think feelings is one of them we we conservatives we're 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 brain people, we want our feelings to be informed by our gray matter, not just mysticism, not just psychotropics, no no, no, knowledge about God self, what Jesus has done, that brings about stabilized emotions increasingly in alignment with god's way of thinking. Having said that, the feelings side of Christianity, which is all about doesn't it feel good to be oh just feels so good to be held by Jesus. And and so we hear about feelings, and we go, blah. can't do that. Not going to let the liberals rob us of the joy of feelings. In this particular context, here's a question that I would ask that has the word feelings. You're lacking assurance. This is an Easter question for you. I just read this somewhere. (laughs) But the question was, how does it make you feel? Now, I read that first line and I'm like, oh boy, here we go with the squishy Bible study. How does it make you feel to know that Jesus Christ died to forgive you of all of your sins? How does that make you feel? And I think the idea, the import behind it was think about this. It should cause emotions, it should cause feelings. And if you're lacking assurance, think thoughts about what Jesus did and let it affect you. It has to filter through your noggin first, but let it trickle down to your heart. If you're in Christ, you've repented and put your trust in Jesus Christ. Your sins are forgiven. How does that feel? Hmm? Why, why, why don't you take a moment till you do feel that? and move it from not just head, but down to heart. This booklet does it. You can find it at wretched.org. It's called Resting in God's Salvation. Here's what it said. The antidote to doubt never comes as a result of increasing your gaze outward to your circumstances or focusing inward on yourself. Amen. It comes when you look more intently upward to a God who moves toward you in order to live with you. That's Romans 5, 1 and 2. We've been introduced to this relationship with the God who says, you know what? I want those people to be in my paradise. They're my little image bearers. They're mine. I value them. Despite their lack of value, I value them and I want them. That's why Jesus died, to accomplish that. That's one of the reasons your doubts tempt you to move away from him or from anything that reminds you of him. But those are precisely the times when you need to look even more intently into Scripture to see a God who longs to help his people deal with their fear and uncertainty. This booklet will help you do that. If you're not sure that God has saved you and is working in your life, it's because you believe that the momentary Fleeting things of this life have more influence in you and on you than does the God who made you, redeems you, and sustains you. This is another way that you could look at this. You've repented and put your trust in Jesus Christ. You've done that. But I don't know. Now, there might be a reason to do that if you see zero fruit in your life. If you have no church members who are affirming that you are growing in your sanctification and it, and it might do you good to stop and take a look and go, am I really walking in the faith? And when, when, what is my trajectory? Am I growing up in sanctification? Have I kind of flatlined or, uh oh, am I starting to slip slide away? It's good to do that a bit, but more than that, you want to be looking at Jesus Christ so that you can be knowing the truth. That's where you need to be studying. That's what you need to be focusing. And if you have been constantly going, but I don't, but maybe, and I did the thing with the deal, then you're believing a lie. You're just not believing the truth. God says, you've repented, put your trust in me, you're mine. The end. Simple as that. Every time that you doubt that, you call God a liar. And I know that you don't want to do that. Back to the devotional on assurance. There is at least one thing you have done that creeps into your mind at the oddest times when your guard is down. Something you can't let go of. That you think about far more than you'd like. Something that you find unforgivable that describe you? This is day one of the Assurance devotional by William P. Smith. That's when it's helpful to consider the first human sin. Back in the Garden of Eden, the results of that sin, real bad, all humanity plunged into sin so that we're each born at war with God. It bound every one of our race to an inescapable death. It subjected the entire universe to the curse of frustration and decay so that nothing works or lasts the way that it should. Nothing you have done or ever will do can begin to compare with the tragedy that Adam and Eve wrote for for the rest of their descendants. But what did God do with them? He offered them mercy. He offered them grace. They threw the world into sin. I don't know what you've done. But it ain't that bad. It really isn't. And if God has the ability to forgive Adam and Eve, if God has the ability to save billions of people who many of them probably have done worse than you, trust his word. He can forgive you. Don't let that thing, whatever it is, that intrusive thought, that haunting memory, when it enters, just remind yourself of truth. God cleanses to the core, and this sin, while I might have remembrance of it, which should drive me to be more grateful toward Jesus, I am not going to let it rob me of assurance. So here's the reflection questions. Think about the thing that most haunts your conscience. How does, it res- how does its result compare in size or scope to that of the first human sin? So after reading about Adam and Eve, being reminded they could be forgiven, now you think about that. Just think about that. Think about the thing that most haunts you. How does it compare to Adam and Eve's sin? Oh, well, it was pretty bad. I mean, I kind of trashed my life, but they trashed everybody's life. Reflect. What do you think is more powerful, your ability to ruin your life or God's ability to rescue and restore it? Hint, which do you spend more time thinking about? That might be your problem. Start thinking more about God. Now, you might say, I can't stop thinking about what I've done, for I know my transgression. My sin is ever before me. Well, that happens to be day two of this devotional, available at wretched.org. While the problem consumes mind and heart, an individual can't stay locked up inside self. That would be foolish. Since his mind and heart got him into trouble, they won't be much help getting him out. And so he doesn't keep trying to deal with the mess or to figure out how to make things right on his own. Instead, you must run to God. But this person doesn't go to God in order to hear the same thoughts that come from within him, the thoughts that accuse and condemn him. Instead, he goes to God for mercy, for compassion, for cleansing, for a clean heart, for God's renewed presence in his life, and for freedom from guilt. He goes to God on the strength of what he could do to make things right with God, but on the strength of what God has done to make things right. David ran to God. Once he was accused and once he was convicted, it appears that he was living in a bit of denial and his bones ached within. But then when Nathan confronted him, he, he, he ran to God and confessed his sin. That's what you need to do, too. Don't. You you commit a sin, you think of a sin, just run to God. You say, but it was a really dirty thought. Run to God. You say, I was really, really nasty to my kids. Run to God. I looked at pornography. Run to God fast now. Don't delay. Reflect. What does the ugliness of David's sin tell you about the greatness of God's grace? And you say, but I keep on sinning. Why do I keep doing these things? Reflect. God's unchangeableness means that he keeps wooing you back when you stray, just as he did before you first turned to him. When was the last time you told him how amazed you are at his commitment to you? And then take some time to do that. If you're struggling with assurance, you want the joy of your salvation to return, I would encourage you. Avail yourself of this resource. It's called Assurance, Resting in God's Salvation. We have a slew of biblical counseling books, along with our new series, Transformed, because assurance is a big issue these days, and God wants to kill it inside of you so that you can know you are his and have the joy that he wants you to have. This is Wretched Radio. Busy, busy, busy. Last year, preborn ministries provided over 92,000 ultrasounds. 54,000 babies were saved. 69 ultrasound machines were placed. 10,000 people responded to the gospel. with trained specialists, which is why the success rates are so staggeringly high at saving lives with preborn. Please consider supporting preborn at preborn.org/slash wretched preborn.org slash wretched.
1: Question: Are you tired of the same old boring TV shows? Well, there is something that's not like anything else on Christian TV. It's Transform and it's back for season number two. You get to be a fly on the wall as you witness real biblical counseling sessions, tackling issues like depression, anxiety, OCD, and others. These are real people with real issues being offered real solutions by our hosts, Dr. Greg Gifford and Dale Johnson. So if you're looking for something different, you know, a show that glorifies God and demonstrates the sufficiency of his word, then Transform is for you. It's a -a one-of-a-kind production that provides the hope and relief that only the Bible can give. The world is full of hurting people, even Christians, and many are completely unaware of biblical counseling and the answers it can provide. So join us for Transform Season 2, the show that will transform your walk with Christ and leave a profound and lasting impact on your life. Get your hands on it now and also consider grabbing the Sunday School curriculum for your church. You can find it at transform.org or the Wretched store at wretched.org.
2: Five hundred dollars per month. If that sounds intriguing, and I hope it does, please do your research. Visit medishare.com/wretched, medishare.com/wretched, or call them and talk to a really nice person at eight four four three four bible, eight four four three four bible, eight four four three four bible.
0: Important dates in Christian history. 529 A.D., Benedict of Nursia establishes his monastic order outside of Rome. His written code of conduct, called the Benedictine Rule, becomes the most influential guide for centuries of monasticism in the West. This is Wretched Radio with
2: Todd Friel. Don't you worry. No rich dining here. This is Wretched Radio. If you are looking for something light, well... (laughs) We got something for you. Evangelical Gnosticism. Ufta. What is that, you say? Well, it is from Abigail Ryan Favale. I hope I said that right. At first things, she teaches at George Fox University. It is a Christian university, and she's describing her students and their attitude about the body. The attitude about this corporeal experience that we have, which apparently the kids are very fond of calling a meat suit, not like meet and greet or e It's a meat, M-E-A-T, suit. Now, I like meat just as much as the next guy, but calling the human body a meat suit seems to trivialize it, and so it is. The body is being trivialized, apparently, if this is any indication of an up-and-coming generation. An overwhelming majority, this is what she writes, of students do not believe in a bodily resurrection. Apparently, we're all going to just be cast for the ghost floating around. While they trust in an afterlife of eternal bliss with God, most of them assume this will be disembodied bliss. In which the soul is finally free of its meat suit. Now is that heresy? No, it's aberrant, most certainly. And I quite honestly don't know how that can be missed unless, of course, these young people aren't reading their Bibles from cover to cover. Apparently they gloss over First Corinthians fifteen. Man, it just Nope, nothing to see here, folks. Nothing about that eternal body, that resurrection body that is going to be built for eternity. Instead, they are acting like Gnostics. What are the Gnostics? Well, the Gnostics were already around in an immature form in the first century. Paul was concerned about Gnosticism in the church. It's a higher knowledge gnosis. It's to to know more than the other guy. You see, you come into our little club and you're going to learn the secrets of the universe. Oh, I'll come in. Please note, Christianity is entirely 180. It is backwards from that. No, 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 no. God will reveal himself to you and you then become a member of a body where you grow in your knowledge, but it isn't a secret club. We share the knowledge of the gospel. We don't offer, come on in, and there's some really good surprises behind the curtain. No, we'll let people know up front, this is what we have to offer, Jesus Christ, and everlasting life. And that comes from humbling yourself, repenting, putting your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then ultimately getting baptized, but not for salvation, but because of salvation, Gnosticism makes it a club, a little click. By the way, perhaps you've heard Votie Bauckham call CRT an ethnic Gnosticism, where a group of people, by virtue of their skin color, knows the hearts and minds of an entire group of other ethnic people. That's Gnosticism. We can't know the heart of others. We can't know what's going on in there. At best, it's a deep well. A wise man draws things out. That is to be sure. But we don't. We can't read people's minds. That's what Gnosticism is. And we are seeing it again. And I have to tell you, this is in alignment with the dualistic Platonism that we've seen in the church now for centuries. And I experienced it the other day out at Kennesaw State University. Talking to a young man, it turns out he was Roman Catholic and thoroughly postmodern as so many are. And I asked this man about truth and it's all subjective. Your truth is your truth. I would never impose my Catholic values on anybody. Same old, same old. And I said, two plus two, what is it? I think it's 64, am I wrong? And quote, he said, well, that's math. See what he did there? That's a dualism. You've got yourself science and math and facts, and you've got yourself tests and laboratories where we can see and repeat experiments to know what is so. That's the realm of reality, the physical, the spiritual stuff. Separate. And that's what Gnosticism does. It separates spirit and body back to uh, the article. And, wow, we're going to go way back. Cicero describes the body as a prison from which the immortal soul is mercifully freed upon death. That's, that's an attitude that a lot of unbelievers have these days. I'll be done with this mortal coil. And I'll get to go to any... I don't care if they turn off the lights. At least I'll have peace. Seneca views the body as nothing more or less than a fetter on my freedom. One eventually dissolved when the soul is set loose. Now, those are actually quite attractive to the unbeliever. It allows them to put a little salve on that open sore that says sin. Well, I won't have to deal with it. I'll be all done with everything. just going to go to a dark place. I won't even be aware. This woman writes, fewer than 10 of my 40 students affirmed the orthodox teaching that we will ultimately have a body in our glorified heavenly form. And that's why she's calling it evangelical Gnosticism, not a light subject at all, but an important one. Young evangelicals are developing heterodox sensibilities that are at odds with a Christian understanding of personhood. Because the body is associated with sin. Correct. There is still sin in our mortal members because we are not yet glorified. This is why theology is so important. What was going on in these youth groups? They never talked about such things. They never talked about the glories of heaven. They never mentioned, for instance, that we're actually going to be dwelling on a physical property, a new earth with new bodies. That's that's eternity. How could that be missed in youth group? Apparently, they couldn't squeeze it in between gross-out games and dominoes. And now the kids are indeed heterodox. This isn't, this isn't heresy land, per se. They're missing out. Listen to the promises of getting a new body. The aches and pains are going to be gone. You're, you're going to live the way that God originally made the planet. For eternity. The view of embodiment as the epitome of evil was a central tenet of Gnosticism, which St. Irenaeus refuted in the late second century. So this has been going on for a bit. The notion that our fall is metaphysical, not moral, persisted. In the early fifth, by the way, this allows you to sin. Body separate, spirit another. The spirit's the important thing. Body, nothing, it's just going to be worm food, so do with it as you see fit. That's Gnosticism, too. In the early 5th century, St. Augustine, or Augustine if you live in Florida, faced an interpretation of St. Paul. So somebody was trying to give a little systematic on St. Paul that placed the apostles' warning about the weakness of our flesh and our bondage to carnal works within a Platonic framework. That's the Platonic separation, the dualism. For the Platonist, the material world and the spiritual world are distinct and ordered. The material is illusory, temporary, imperfect. The body is the seat of harmful desires and passions from which the soul must be released because the body weighs down and corrupts the soul. That's what the kids apparently are thinking these days, because they aren't being taught systematic theology. They aren't being taught the doctrines of eternity. In the Christian understanding, back to our article, of sin in human nature, as articulated by Augustine, it was not the corruptible flesh that made the soul sinful. It was the sinful soul that made the flesh corruptible. Want to be careful with that because I think the distinction needs to be made. We have a tendency, nobody's a heretic for saying it. We've got this old nature. No, we don't. We've got one new nature. You've got this carcass, this flesh, which one day it will be glorified. It is important to remember that we are dualists. We don't think that we are just spirits with some sort of physical form That's containing us until we're set free. But apparently that's what the kids think. Got a question for you. As always, are you teaching students important things, heavier subjects than just, hey, uh, let's talk about dating and Twitter, man. All right. Finish up, everybody. You can bring your your cokes into the into the sanctuary. Just. Listen to me, please, for a second. We need to side with Cyril and the individuals who wrote the Chalcedonian Creed to resist the trend that denigrates the body in a false view, and this will elevate the soul with it. Are you teaching your kids theology? Apparently not many are. Sadly, this is Wretched Radio. And now it's time
1: for some wretched news on Wretched Radio. I'm Jimmy Hicks, and we start in Utah, where a school assignment has kids chowing down on insects. The enlightened educators at Maria Montessori Academy in North Ogden decided that cows are enemy number one and that their students should just start eating bugs. What's next? You're going to make them eat dirt in the name of soil conservation? Come on. And sticking with education, New York has discovered a surefire way to fix their abysmal test scores. They're simply just going to lower the proficiency standards in math and English. Genius. I don't know why they didn't think of this to begin with. Let's just make us see the new A. It's easier that way. Let's just lower the bar instead of raising our expectations. New research is suggesting that dad jokes are essential for child development. That's right. All of our puns and one-liners are actually doing wonders for our kids' emotional and cognitive growth. So that's keep it up. We're making a difference one eye roll at a time. In Italy, a male runner has obliterated the women's 200 meter record and this is his eighth championship in women's track and field. Yeah, men running faster than women that's not anything that's possible is it? Well in other news, Hillary Clinton. Yes, Hillary Clinton has voiced her hope that drag show bands go the way of the dinosaur because it's just so terrible and awful and down right mean not to let innocent children see sick and perverted things well eggs are now so expensive how expensive are they well that the dollar tree has decided to stop selling them you know i fought it and fought it and fought it but i do guess it's time to get those backyard chickens that everybody else seems to be getting my hoa is gonna love me a lot more than they already do now Well, in a surprising twist, is it surprising though? President Biden has horrified Nancy Pelosi. How did he do that? Well, he suggested that Donald Trump may be a future president. But this is the same guy that also keeps calling Kamala the real president. (laughs) Next thing you know, Elmo's going to be the Secretary of State. Robin DiAngelo, the literary genius author of White Fragility, is now calling for all-out segregation. And if you're wondering when the canceling is coming, you know how it goes. The rules of cancel culture are ever-changing and have no equality, which is something we thought the woke wanted, right? Yeah, No, only their brand of equality, which really isn't even equal. Rather, it's superiority. But they call it equal because, well, you know, redefining words and all. And finally, Champion powerlifter Naomi Cooten is risking suspension because she has asserted that trans rights do not trump women's rights. Yes, yeah, she's raised some eyebrows and hit some nerves of the people who hate women and want to erase them, aka Liberals. And that's been your latest Wretched News, more Wretched Radio, straight ahead. I'm Jimmy Hicks.
0: Books of the Bible. Nehemiah is the continuing story of exiles returning from Babylonian captivity. In this book, the people rebuild the walls of Jerusalem and renew the covenant under the leadership of Nehemiah. Despite opposition, the wall is rebuilt in 52 days and is perceived as a work wrought by God. God will bless that work which brings him honor. This is Wretched
2: Radio with Todd Frio. Care for a plate of total depravity? This is Wretched Radio. That's right, Jimmy. I'm sticking with this light dining motif we got going on. It seems to be working. Evangelical Gnosticism and total depravity. Don't worry, it won't be much. Just a little unsatisfying plate. You know, tapas food. This was written by John Hartley. Place for Truth. Talking about the doctrine of total depravity, which liberals would reject because it seems so mean they're pelagian they believe that people are born sinless just met some guys that taught that mm, 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 mm. all you what video, i was watching a, you know these i don't know i don't do the things where do you see the videos jimmy youtube may get there too but like the instagram stuff whatever like the short video whatever <laughs> it was it was tiktok sure i was on tiktok i don't i don't know <sighs> Was watching a little kid just pitch a total fit like three months like seriously you don't think that that's sin right there now a child needs to cry that is their form of communication and it isn't necessarily sinful which is why we believe the little lord jesus not a sound did he make um no he cried because that's how babies communicate a need But there is a sinful cry that can come from children, and it seems quite obvious. It's self-centered. It's angry in its tone, and it's because we are totally depraved. Please note this doesn't mean that you sin as much as possible. It just means that every single member is defiled by sin. You're saturated in sin. From your mother's womb, in other words, at conception. Now, liberals would say, no, people are basically good. It is the world that corrupts. Well, Rousseau would probably agree with that, but the Bible doesn't. In sin was I born, in iniquity did my mother conceive me. And as is always the case, when you go liberal, you forfeit blessings. And in this instance, the blessings are patience understanding loving kindness you say what do they have to do with total depravity well consider what our attitude should be when we look at another person and realize they're totally depraved they're just they were born into that they they it wasn't nurtured that's their very nature this will help you in a number of realms of life for instance, again, this is from John Hartley. Consider first the expectations of Christian parents. Some parents, they're so disturbed that their kids are such monsters and then it persists for, well, ever. And they just keep rebelling. And then they become teenagers and they really rebel. And you're wondering what's going on. The answer is total depravity. Now, doesn't that perhaps offer you some comfort if we if we deny classic biblical doctrines it is to our own detriment we get comfort from the doctrine of total depravity we get a lot of other things like you know an incentive to evangelize but just to be selfish for a moment, what do I get out of this doctrine? And the answer is comfort. I don't lose my cool with my kids. I don't shout, what is the matter with them? Answer, they're totally depraved. How could you do that? They're totally depraved. You, I, I never did that as a kid. Eh, wrong. You were totally depraved, too. Don't we grade ourselves liberally? I mean, if there's a curve, you and I benefit from it mightily when we're judging ourselves. We were the very same. Comfort is a fruit of the doctrine of total depravity from the article. We so easily expect children to be reformed by rules that we soon become hardened when they are not. Does that maybe describe you, mom and dad? That you're you're burned out? You've tried all the parenting models and methods to just get these little kids to behave they need something more radical. They need a lot of patience. They need a lot of understanding. And they need a lot of gospel. They need to be regenerated. They need their wicked little hearts to be transplanted. A wise man once said the doctrine of total depravity should stir deep compassion in parents. For after all of the first things we after all, it was the first thing we gave our children, their sin nature. Huh. Why are you acting? Now, now, this is a kid who's learning doctrines like total depravity. Son, I am shocked at your behavior. Father, have you forgotten the doctrine of total depravity? Well, that is no excuse. You, you shouldn't be doing that. Bob, I got it from you. Number two realm that the doctrine of total depravity blesses us when we remember it. Consider the expectations of Christian citizens, how easily we become agitated and irate and inhospitable and downright hateful toward neighbors when they don't hold to fill in the blank. These days, it can be political. It can be about what somebody's favorite ice cream is. It doesn't matter. We just, you don't believe, this is a trend. I see this. I experience this. I feel this myself. I have a sense that it comes from the cultural air that we breathe constantly. That I'm right, you're wrong. And there is no consideration for the other side whatsoever. And if you don't align with me with every single jot and tittle, I do a Spock eyebrow and I'm suspicious of you. Mm-hmm. Dude likes the Denver Broncos. (laughs) Red flag. They smoke marijuana in that state. (laughs) And then we separate. Or I just, well, you're not my cup of tea. Isn't that a propensity of our day? Maybe the doctrine of total depravity helps. Let's just consider your neighborhood, the secular folks that you work with. They're just totally depraved. It's the it's the epoch, dare I say, dispensation that we're in. The totally depraved era. And this doctrine should cause us to not be so mad, short-tempered, impatient, frustrated, and maybe vengeful toward people who do not align with us perfectly. And this also goes inside of the church. There are definitely doctrines. We talk about them regularly here. There are definitely doctrines that put you on the outs. There are certain essentials that must be agreed upon in order for there to be unity. Without those essentials, you don't have unity. And we strive for that, but we also need to recognize there can be some theological issues where we just disagree. Consider John MacArthur and R.C. Sproul. Were they similar? Yeah. They were identical on the essentials. Did they agree on dispensationalism and covenantalism? No, they had a disagreement on eschatology. That's kind of a big deal, but they loved each other because they were square on the essentials. Baptism. John MacArthur rightly believed in believers' baptism. R.C. Sproul, well, not so much. Pedobaptism. And yet there was love between the two. We don't see that much these days, do we? You disagree with me on anything, including social observations. What you think is going on in the... Co- We've become so sensitive. For instance, hey, Jimmy. Yes. Um, say hello, number. On a scale of 1 to 10, how outraged are you when we saw cities burning down? Four. Four? You're just a four. That was a red. You need to be a 10. And if somebody doesn't match my outrage toward a moral ill or a societal issue, guess what? ha! Oh, and I thought you were a Christian. Total depravity might just help us with that third realm, government. I was just reading an article somewhere in Texas. They were this church. I don't know anything about them, but they were were saying that there's a demonic spirit in the city council that is being active right now. I I couldn't say it definitively. I don't know the city council, but the decisions that representatives are making these days, government officials, if that isn't satanic business, I, I don't know what is. Wicked people making wicked decisions. Why am I shocked? Oh, yeah, it's because I've forgotten the doctrine of total depravity. Number four. Consider the expectations of a spouse that we want them to be perfect. We don't want them to ever get in our way, to do something that rankles us. It's it's amazing how quick we are to forget the doctrine of total depravity and get torqued at our own spouses as if we don't do stuff too. We do, and maybe, just maybe, studying the doctrine of total depravity and agreeing upon it would help us in so many realms, not to mention, you will be blessed in studying total depravity because you will have a greater appreciation that Jesus Christ died for totally depraved sinners. This is Wretched Radio.
1: Hey, thank you for joining us here on Wretched Radio today. Wanted to take a quick second to thank our gospel partners for being the backbone of this ministry. Your unwavering support is what helps us keep the lights on around here and spread the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ to millions. As Paul wrote in 2 Thessalonians 2, stand firm and hold on to the traditions which you were taught. And boy, we are glad that you've stuck with us and made us a part of your tradition. We promise not to let you down. Unlike God's hairline that keeps receding. No, that's not true. But listen, our the goal is to preach the gospel, equip people to preach the gospel, and strengthen the local church. And we do it all with quality productions that are so good, even the most discerning Christians won't blush. Plus, we try to handle God's money like we're handling nitroglycerin. So we want to thank you again for being a part of the Gospel Partner family. And if you're not already in on this action, what are you waiting for? Join us by visiting wretched.org donate or text the word wretched to the number 44321. Wretched, amazing grace, amazing gospel.
2: So you're not convinced of the importance of training men to rightly divide the word of truth and fill pulpits internationally? Fine then we'll let Paul Washer convince you.
1: It is so important, not just important, it's absolutely essential to have a trained expositor of the scripture in every church. When we read through the book of Acts, we can see that the kingdom of God, the kingdom of Christ advances as the word of God advances.
2: Would you please consider joining the Masters Academy International in filling empty pulpits with men who can exposit the scriptures and advance the kingdom of God It's a magnificent ministry with a generational impact. Please learn more about supporting TMAI at wretched.org slash pastor. Wretched.org slash pastor for the Master's Academy International.
0: Names of God. Is Jesus God? One name given to God in Scripture is El Gibor, the mighty God. One occurrence of this name stands out. In Isaiah chapter 9, El Gibor is the name given to the promised Messiah. Jesus is that promised Messiah. He is God incarnate. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel.
2: Don't you worry, we'll get back to total depravity in a moment. Jimmy, that didn't quite come out the way that I... (laughs) anticipated. (laughs) This is Wretched Radio. Before we gain assurance of our salvation by studying the doctrine of total depravity, let me remind you of the vast number of totally depraved children are in Ukraine and Russia and Moldova and Georgia. This is why missionaries, we went. We got to go we got to bring the good news to these people who have never heard the name of Jesus. I bring this up because I would like to draw to your attention the amazing work that Tomorrow Clubs are doing in Ukraine and Russia and Romania and Albania and any other Eastern European nation that ends with an A because they recognize these kids are totally depraved and they need a Savior. They preach the gospel to them. They've expanded now into Africa. If you're looking to participate in the Great Commission in that way, don't know that you can do better than the very efficient Tomorrow Clubs. Please consider learning more at TomorrowClubs.org wretched. TomorrowClubs.org wretched. Now then, back to our regularly scheduled, totally depraved content. That didn't come out right again. <laughs> Close enough. How can total depravity give you assurance? Let us take a look at an article written by one Mark Sanders, the opposite of sexual sin. One of the most consistent challenges that I see for Christians, based on conversations, based on emails, is a lack of assurance. They, they just struggle. Maybe that describes you. You did pretty good today, so I think I'm in. Tomorrow you fall and suddenly you're out again. Now, just for yucks, let's consider what you are stating when you think that you are saved because of your behavior. You're saying that your behavior is what is keeping you in. And it's not. It's Jesus who keeps you in, even when your behavior is indeed totally depraved. Don't fall into this trap. Milton Vincent preaches a bang-up sermon on Romans 5, 1 and 2 on the doctrine of justification. So magnificent. He describes his own experience. I would rededicate my life to Christ. He went to a camp. They preached the gospel around the fire, and then they had to take a stick and throw the stick into the fire, showing that they are dying to sin. And he would come home, all except want to be rebaptized. Then he'd do pretty well for a few days, (laughs) and then he'd fall. But here's the deception. He wasn't doing well at all. And it's not his obedience that keeps him saved. To be certain, obedience is a sign of salvation, but it does not maintain your status as a justified one in the courtroom of God. Jesus does that work. The opposite of sexual sin perhaps describes you, and perhaps remembering the doctrine of total depravity will release you from the ongoing joylessness you experience. When the Bible says we're totally depraved, when the Bible says that we will not be free from this mortal coil until we die. Are glorified, Jesus returns, raises everyone from the dead, and gives everybody their new and improved eternal body. Until that time, you're going to wrestle with sin. But by the way, the operative word is wrestle. If you don't wrestle with sin, something's wrong. If you don't hate your sin, you've got to take a better look at yourself and ask, why doesn't this bother me? Now, even as I say that, I can't tell you how many emails that I've read where somebody will say, but I don't feel as bad as I used to feel. That, that's a possibility. And we need to remember that there should be conviction over sin our entire life, but it's going to take on a different flavor, a different shape. You're, you're going to, for instance, pride, pride. Before getting saved, I wasn't even aware of what it actually is because. I had so much of it. I was blinded by it. I was so pride filled. I didn't realize it. Well, now as a Christian, I see it and it's, I abhor that. Ah, what's the matter with me? But it doesn't lead me to despair because I remember while we consider the doctrine of total depravity, we cannot do it without considering the doctrine of justification that justifies totally depraved sinners. Anyone, this is the article, anyone who's experienced being enslaved by a life-dominating sin knows how easy it is to let that struggle become the lens through which you see all of life. Many men consider pornography right now. That is everything. And you base your status in the kingdom of God based on your ability to resist temptation. And to not fire up the computer and watch filthy pixels. That has become the centerpiece of your life. And on the days you do well, you're in. On the day you fall, (sighs) not sure I'm saved. They see their entire moral responsibility resting on a single prohibition. Thou shalt not blank. What's yours? Do you have one of those? You you wrestle with that besetting sin. And you feel like if if I if I don't master it totally, I'm not sure that I'm in the I'm, I'm, I'm in the family of God. Now we want to always be careful with this because you don't want to give people liberty for licentiousness. But please note the genuine Christian won't do that. This is why it has been said that grace preaching is more dangerous than law preaching. You say, Law preaching? Oh, that's the scary stuff. Uh uh uh. Grace says you're free to sin. Do you want to? You will be justified without wavering in the courtroom of God, even as you sin. Do you want to do that? And you don't. You, you, You don't want to do that. But you feel like if I do, if I don't have complete victory, I'm out. Let's be willing to preach the dangerous doctrine of grace without fear that it'll somehow cause somebody to conclude, off to the sin races I go. I'm jumping on my sin pony and I'm racing around the track. I don't know that you do that with ponies. The point is, preaching grace for those who are saved, it will not lead them to be liber in their behavior. In fact, the more we preach it, the more people are going to not want to sin. Back to the article. These people start to measure the strength of their relationship with God based on whether they looked at, in this instance, pornography that day. Doesn't matter what else happened, good or bad. Refraining from sexual sin becomes the sole gauge of spiritual health. Does that describe you? First, There are two pitfalls to this. First, you become uninterested in any other area of sanctification in your life. If you have been constantly focusing on one particular issue, you're ignoring a bunch of others. And that's bad. You don't want that lying, stealing, idolatry, adultery, unrighteous anger. Don't even register as areas of needed growth because this sin has given you tunnel vision to any other problems. That's a pitfall. You've got to see that you're, you're sinful in more ways than one, but Jesus is still mighty to save. Here's another pitfall. There may be much groundwork being done in your life when you continue to lose battles against temptation. Blindness to this good work that God is doing can co-opt a trajectory of growth through discouragement and despair. Because you're just focused on this sin, you don't see any growth going on anywhere else. Right, you're still in war with this sin, as well you should be. But you don't stop to go, I don't lie nearly as much as I used to. In fact, I can just see the words coming down that, like a one-armed bandit. No, that's not. Yeah, like coins. This is a gambling reference. I'm not real good at these, but you pull the... Slot machine. What? The slot machine. Slot machine. Yeah, I'm going season game. outcome the coins. yeah, i'm sure you are. <laughs> outcome the coins. well, that's you're you're a slot machine and you see the coins coming down and you go, "no, i'm about to lie." well, you won't appreciate the holy spirit's work in your life if you're just fixated on one sin. don't do that. don't just stay stuck on one sin. now this does not mean you don't stop warring against it, fighting against it battling. It doesn't mean you become lax in any way, shape, or form. But if you will remember, yep, yeah, totally depraved, totally righteousness, called as a saint, I'm totally righteous, positionally with God. Now go live like it. Now go strive to be what you already are knowing that as you war against sin, that's the key, the battle. If there's no battle, you got big problems. But if you're in the battle and you're besetting sin, it just stays at your heels. You you thought it would be gone by now, but it's not. Don't let that cause you to lack assurance. Remember the grace of God in Jesus Christ. And that knowledge will be the very thing that helps you kill that besetting sin. Until tomorrow. Go serve your king.